turn with me, please. Well, actually, yeah, turn with me to Psalm 91. Uh, I'm, I'm doing a message this evening, uh, which they'll have on the screen in a second, entitled El Shaddai. And, uh, but I want to read you Psalm 91 first, please. Just the first verse of it, actually. Just the first verse of Psalm 91. The Bible says, He that dwelleth, actually the first two verses, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. What's that secret place? Do you know what that means? Do you know what the New Testament Rosetta Stone definition of that word means? I wondered for years. What does that really mean? And then God spoke to me one day and he said, that's when you're in the spirit. When you're in the spirit, it's the secret place. And then I heard Dad Hagen in a sermon say, the secret place means when you're in the spirit. And I thought, well, I heard right. <laughs> he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him will I trust. Do you know that Abraham was 75 years old? when he entered into Canaan and God gave him a promise and he said, I'm going to give you a son. Do you know that for 25 long years that promise never came to pass? For he had he got in the flesh and had another son when he shouldn't have had a son in his 90s or I guess his 80s because, because Ishmael was 13 when, when, uh, when, when Isaac was born. But Isaac was born when he was 100 years old. Now if you study, what changed that? What changed? Why did he go 25 years without the promise being fulfilled and then all of a sudden it was fulfilled? If you study it, there's a curious thing that God does just before Sarah conceives. And what it was is God came to him. I think God finally just figured this guy's not getting it. So I'm going to have to help him because it's the same faith. Faith is faith. Whether it's all those, you know, millennia ago or today. Abraham, just because God promised him something didn't mean, doesn't mean that it's going to automatically happen. He had to release his faith in it. He had to believe in it. And it was hard for him to believe because he's old and she's old. Do you understand? So he had to do something to change it. And God knew that he wasn't operating in faith the way he should have, which is why the promise didn't come to pass. God can promise you something that doesn't mean it automatically happens. The word can promise you something. He can give you a specific prophetic word that doesn't mean it's going to happen unless you release your faith for it. Same, we see that with Abraham. If anybody was going to get it as a, as a favor, it would have been Grandpa Abraham. He deserved it maybe more than anybody, but he didn't. Right? So you have to release your faith. If anybody deserved deliverance, Moses sure did. Right? I mean, he's the meekest man in all the earth, and he went through so much, and God said, I'm going to deliver you, but it didn't happen until he reached his rod out and then released his faith. Use his authority. Do you understand? So uh, what, what happens if you notice God comes to him? I think God just find God. God doesn't get tired, but I think God saw that Abraham's getting older and older and he's getting tired. So he comes and helps him in the process because he wasn't getting it. What does he do? He changes his name. He says, you're no longer Abram. You're Abraham. Abraham means father of many nations, but he don't even have a kid yet. Well, he's got one out of wedlock. But other than that, he doesn't have the promise. But what did God do? He said, I want you to start saying the promise. I want, see, I want every time you hear your name, that's your identifying mark, that's your name. You're hearing people talk faith to you. Just your name in that case was like a, an, an act of faith. Because every time he said, he was saying, I am a father of a child. 
it was releasing his faith that the child would come. And down the line, many generations, because as a father of many nations, and of course he is today, many hundreds of thousands of years later, but back then he just had to start with one, right? So he had to hear it, Jenny. He had to hear, I'm the father of many. I'm the father of many. I'm the father of many. My name's Abraham. Hey, what's your name? My name's Abraham. My name's the father of many. As soon as he started saying what God said, she got pregnant. So uh, I'm saying that to say this, a name is your identifying mark. The name means who you are. And in Abraham's case, the name helped him because it stated, not all of our names state what God has promised us, do they? Right? I mean, you know, if, if your name is, you know, like whatever, Jacob deceiver, and you, you know, that's not necessarily saying what God promised because he didn't promise you that you're going to be a deceiver. But, but in, in Abraham's case, so don't worry if your name doesn't have the perfect meaning. You know, don't, you don't have to change it to Abraham or Craig or anything like that. You just enjoy your name for what it means. Because my name means strong, rugged one, like the edge of a cliff, like the, like the, like the elephant's tusk. That's what my name means. So it is kind of, you know, that is every time I hear it, I say, yeah, I am strong. Yeah, I am on the cutting edge. Yeah, I am going to impale the devil. And if I can't impale him, I'll sit on him. <laughs> so, uh, but if your name doesn't mean something great like Gregory, I'm not sure if that's a, it means a great name, but we'll, we'll see. I think it means Rigo one or something like that, king or, or something like that. If your name doesn't mean something great like Abraham's, it doesn't matter. The point is, I'm trying to explain to you, he had to hear his name in his case helped him release his faith because his name spoke of the promise. It says identifying Mark. God's name, God's name, his names, plural, are his identifying mark. Do you understand? When you think of God, you think of his name because his name represents him. Because we're in Christ, seated in heavenly places, and we're his child, his name, like like a normal heritage line, is our name. That's why we are called Christians. Do you know what that word in the Greek means? Little Christs. You're a Christian. You're a little Christ. You're not the big Christ. That's the head. But you're the little Christ. You're the body. And members in particular, Paul said. So we, our name is connected to God even in the fact that we're called Christians. But because God has a name, that's his identifying mark, his name, because we're in covenant, we're in his heritage line, the divine line, with divine DNA seed in us because we're born again, what his name is really is like our name from that perspective. Do you understand? He's our father. My father's name is Ken Field. My name is Craig Field. See, there's a similarity down the line. We even see it in the natural realm. So whatever God the Father's name is, it affects us. It's part of us what his name is. So if you're going to understand covenant, if you're going to remember covenant, because without covenant, you don't really can't walk in the blessings. You've got to understand your covenant. That's another way of saying that is who you are in Christ, what you have in Christ, what you can do through Christ. That's all because of covenant. You are in Christ because Jesus cut covenant with the Father and you entered it. That's who you are in Christ means your covenant. If you, are, if you want to understand who you are in Christ and understand how to get things from God, uh, it's important how you see your father and his name because his name is in you. My father's name and my last name are the same because he's in me and I'm in him. So God's name is in me and I'm in him. 
because I'm in covenant, I'm his child. So his name is important when it comes to releasing my faith. Yes, and I often, I don't know, a lot, of, a lot of ministers don't talk about this, I don't think as much as they should, because yes, we're in the New Testament, and everything in the Old Testament filters through the cross into the New Testament, and the name of Jesus, we were just singing it, is above all names, right? Yes, that name Jesus actually is where you get the word Joshua from. It means deliverer. It means the one that redeems. It means the one that buys back. And that name has all power in it, but for descriptive purposes. That's not the only name in the Bible, although it is the highest name, and it encompasses all the Old Testament names, which is why we use the name of Jesus all the time. But if you want to meditate on your heavenly Father's identifying features, his mark, you need to think about his names because those names are in you, because you're his child and his blood. So what I, I often meditate on his names, because, and I'm just talking about just, just kind of living daily life. I'll think about it from time to time, because it's important if I'm going to be a covenant man that I understand covenant names. And while Jesus is the highest, there are some great blessing to look at Old Testament names. It doesn't do away with the Old Testament names. Just because we have the name of Jesus, everything filters into that name. Like you, like you look at that light and it goes through that prism and then it's got all these colors. Jesus is the main beam. Everything's in him. But when you put it through the cross and you look back to the Old Testament, all the colors of the rainbow show up in all of the names of God. But thank God for the New Testament, it's that solid white light. But there is a prism do you understand? There's many, there's many aspects to his name, Jesus. And so I want to remind you, and because uh, there's a point where I'm getting to, so we see, we see the four main, there's obviously, I think last year sometime I put it up on the screen and I listed a whole bunch of names. Uh, mainly Jehovah names are the most common, but then you've also got some L names, E-L names, which are not as common, but I listed all of them to you and, and, and tried to pronounce and you were all astonished. There were Facebook posts, there were Instagram posts. Pastor is Jewish. He is a Hebrew scholar. Look how he pronounced. I mean, I just really practiced in front of the mirror a lot, Reverend Greg, and I tried my best to do it. And so we did. That's not what I'm doing tonight because I'm getting to something. But I want to focus on that name El Shaddai for a second. And if you look here, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. What is the name Most High? It's El Elyon shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty, which is El Shaddai. I will say of the Lord, which is Jehovah, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, my El Elyon, in whom will I trust. He that dwelleth in the secret place of El Elyon shall abide under the shadow of El Shaddai. I will say of Jehovah, he is my God, my fortress, my refuge, my El Elyon, in whom I will trust. Now, a quick reminder, because some of you, obviously, you probably haven't committed it to memory, but El Elyon means the most high God. This means supreme monarch, the lofty one, the exalted above all things. The name signifies God's majesty, sovereignty, and preeminence. It's the name of the king, the king who ascends on high. It's the name which suggests God's position that he is up, uppermost and uttermost. So when you think of El Elyon, it's the kingly name for God. It's what you kneel before. 
And usually when the tithe is mentioned in the Bible, not every time, but more often than not, when the tithe is mentioned, El Elyon is mentioned because you bring your tithe to the king. It's a sacred and holy and reverent and royal act because he's the king. He's worthy of your of your substance, like a king would be worthy of the subjects of the land's taxes and increase. God, the king, is worthy of our tithe. Yes, now, we see uh, he that dwells in the secret place of the El Elyon, the supreme king, will abide under the shadow of El Shaddai. And El Shaddai means the Lord God Almighty. And it means the mighty powerful one. Its root is the word Shaddad, which means burly. Powerful, impregnable. What's impregnable? You can't get through. To ravage, to destroy, to spoil, to utterly lay waste to. This is a warrior term for God. Like a champion, like a, like a, like a band of warriors, they come and they lay waste to the land. Nothing can stand in front of them. They are strong, mighty champions. This is the name for God. He's not just a king that sits on his throne. He's a war chief with a large sword. <laughs> I'm telling you. I know David Hogan once, many people have seen Jesus, but one vision that he had of Jesus, Jesus was walking toward him on a horse. And he said, I've never seen a human being look like that before. He said he was Mr. Universe on steroids. That's what he, how he saw Jesus. He said he was the most muscular, warrior, chief, champion, fearful tyrant that I've ever seen. He was like the perfect warrior soldier, bustling, burly, strong with these weapons in his hand, this glistening sword and jeweled crown on this war horse. He said the horse itself, you could barely take your eyes off the horse. This war horse was massive. And Jesus was this huge giant champion sitting on the horse going into battle. See, that is El Shaddai. He's not just the king on the robe on the throne. He's also the war chief on the horse going into battle. I love these images because it's not just... There's so many sides to God. There's a colorful rainbow of his names and of his attributes and of his, uh, his markings. Do you understand? This is primarily describes him as a powerful God, strong beyond human imagination, and is connected not just to his strength, but to his supply. He can supply any need at any time, and there's no circumstance we'll ever face that he cannot overcome for us. It literally means the all-powerful, all-tyrannical, and all-sufficient one. Tyrannical not being a negative sense, but meaning... He, he, he dominates everything he looks at. That's my God. You've got to meditate on those names because it will help your faith. Then we've got uh, he that dwelleth in the secret place of El Elyon, the lofty king, shall abide under the shadow of, of, of El Shaddai, the almighty, all-powerful warrior supplier. I will say of Jehovah, right? I will say of Jehovah. And Jehovah, as you know, means the Lord I am. I am that I am, the self-existent one. It's the personal name. Remember, God revealed himself to Abraham as El Shaddai. Yeah. But he revealed himself to Moses, hundreds of years later, as Jehovah. And most of the names you'll see are Jehovah names. But Jehovah 
is uh, it's got that uh, tetragrammaton, which is YHVH, because they couldn't pronounce the name that's too holy to the Jews. And so they, they put it there without vowels. In the Latin, it's JHVH. And it means my Lord or master. And it means, listen, it, it's the, Jehovah represents the holiness of God, but it also represents a relatable God. So there's two aspects to Jehovah, like two scales, theologians call it. On one side is his extreme holiness, that nothing, nothing with even a shadow of gray can be in his presence. But the other scale is his extreme relatableness and his mercy. That he loves us and he knows every hair on our head. He knows our weaknesses. He knows, our, he knows that we're going to miss it. He knows that we're unholy, but he is perfectly holy. And he balances the two with mercy. This is Jehovah for me. When I miss it, I remind myself you're ultimately perfect and I'm not. But because of your mercy, I can come close through your blood to your perfect presence because your blood makes me holy. This is a holy God and a relatable God all at once. And that's Jehovah. And then, of course, the last one is shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Say of the Lord, he is my, the Lord Jehovah. He is my refuge, my fortress, my God. That word God is translated here. Elohim, and it's the only plural version of God. It's in Genesis 1.1. In the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's God's. It's plural, and it means the creator. The all-powerful creator. Do you understand? And it means basically the triune. This speaks of the Trinity. And uh, this is saying that he is the one over all the universe. It's like, a, it's like going up into a high place and, and saying, this is God over everything. Nothing escapes his gaze. If you don't have it, he'll make it. Do you understand? He has made the universe and the trillions of galaxies. This is El Elyon. So when you think of El Elyon, you think of the creator. You can't, your mind can't process how large he is. And then when you look at El Shaddai, he's my strong one. And my supplier. And yet Jehovah, he's the holy one, yet the merciful one, because I'm not. Do you understand? And then, of course, he is also the most high El Elyon. He is my king and my monarch that I kneel before and I worship. So he's my king and he's my warrior champion. And he's my creator and he's the holy one. You see these names, you should meditate on them. You should try to remember some of what I'm saying to you. You should, because I have said it before, but I highly doubt anybody really remembers it. You should try to, you should try to write some notes sometimes. It's okay to write notes sometimes, because most of you just never write notes, and that's okay. You don't have to write notes, but the more you pay attention, if you want to learn something, write some things down. Because you say, well, I'm going to go back and listen to it later. Yeah, right. Well, you've got Instagram and Facebook waiting for you. And then you've got cooking and cleaning and laundry and children and work and everything else. And you probably won't. So I, I encourage you, especially Wednesday night when it's more of a teaching flow, you should try to, try to write some things down as much as you can. If you can't, that's okay. But try a little bit because it will help you. Just Even if you don't go back over your notes, I've noticed something, at least with me. Maybe you're different. When I write things down, it helps me remember them and maybe not memorize fully, but it helps me recall them later more when my hand has written them. 
So whether that's for you or not, I'm not telling you that you should write notes. I'm just saying the more you meditate on this, the more it becomes real to you. The more when you're facing situations in life, the prism of his names become real to you. It'll help your faith. It'll help your covenant understanding. Abraham couldn't get what he needed until he started to speak it. And his name as an identifying mark on his life helped him do that. I can't get what I need until I start saying the covenant features of God and take it personally because his name, I don't think you understand it, is in me. Hortense El Shaddai is part of your name. We're always putting it on God. But covenant includes you with God. If I am his child naturally, I inherit the name. So don't you think I should know field? It's like saying your name, I don't know what my name is, but you need to know your name. You need to know his name because his name is in me. I am not El Shaddai. He is, but I have a part of El Shaddai because I'm in covenant with him. I should at least know what his name means, shouldn't I? So that when I'm struggling on something, I can remember, oh, hold on a second. It don't matter what I'm facing today. It doesn't matter what I'm going through today. It doesn't matter the pressure. I've got a champion on a horse that is able to help me. I release faith in that name, O El Shaddai, burly, powerful, tyrannical one who is all supplier. I need a supply today, Father. There's money is tight. Things are going wrong. I thank you that you are my supply. You are my El Shaddai. Oh my God, it's, it'll help you. It helps me. I'm just trying to help you with what helps me. Praise God. So I was praying because I was going to talk teach on something different uh, based on what we prayed out. I was praying out. There was an emphasis on the love walk and forgiveness on Tuesday morning. And so I thought, well, Lord, that's a good place to start. I'll just, I'll just teach on love because I think it's important that, and normally that would be a good segue because we prayed it. But the Lord's stopped me. And he said, no, he said, I want you to teach on my supply to them. And he said, focus on El Shaddai, because that's the name of God connected with supply more than any other name. Now there's many, there's many Jehovah names and some of the Jehovah names are connected to supply. Like, like, uh, Jehovah Jireh, he's the one that sees and provides. So that is a supply name, but there's many Jehovah names, but El Shaddai was the chief daddy name long before Jehovah Jireh ever showed up. It's all God, but I'm saying El Shaddai is a, it's what he revealed to Abraham at the beginning of covenant. You don't take like those names. You don't take like any of the names. So he said, focus a little bit on El Shaddai. And so I said, okay, Lord. And I said, out of curiosity, why Lord? Because I think people in our church at least know pretty much they have a fairly good teaching base, but from us and from Pastor Nancy and other ministers uh, about finances and different things. And I said, is there a reason why you're prompting me to do this tonight? I don't, you don't need to tell me, but I wouldn't mind knowing if it's okay. And he spoke to me and he said, because of what's happening in the world right now. And he said, now I don't really notice it that much because I refuse to acknowledge it. And that's not not denying reality. I know reality, but I won't look at it. But a lot of Christians do look at it. But with the war, boy, we must be in the last days. Plagues, wars, rumors of wars. Jesus, you're getting on your horse right now, Lord. You're walking to the gate. My God, he's about to come. The angels angels are polishing their brass. He must be coming soon 
because we're, we're seeing plagues like we've never seen before, global plagues and wars and rumors of wars and Russia, like the peacock they are, are fluffling their feathers and trying to boss everybody around. And so with all of this stuff, I guess I've noticed, maybe you have too, that there's a 40% increase in food costs. Gas is going up higher and higher, uh, higher and higher, and not to worship the Lord either. It's just going up higher. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, I've, and, I, and I hear people talking a lot around me about these things. Now, what I mean by that is if you want to learn something, humble yourself to learn. I don't acknowledge it. Now, what I mean by that is I know the gas price is 180, whatever it is, because I see it when I'm filling up that ridiculous truck that takes now over $200 to fill the tank once. I see it, but I refuse to acknowledge it. What I do say is, I thank you, Father. Father, I got quite a long time here to fill this tank. Because when I see those ridiculous little mopeds come and in four seconds their tank is full and now they're gone, I just bless them and four of them can come through while I'm doing the same single fill-up. So Lord, I got some time here while I wait for this. But I'm not going to look at those numbers going up there because that's not going to help me. But what I do say is, Lord, I thank you that I have a supply. You saw the difference. And you've got a supply for me to make that difference up. And your mind says, how? That's not my side. When? That's not my side. Who? That's not my side. My side is not to figure that out. That's God's side. I just say thank you for the supply. And it will be as if the price didn't even go up. You'll bless me so that it's like it didn't even happen. You'll increase me from other sources so it's like it didn't even happen. When I see the grocery bill and it is higher... And higher and higher, I say, Lord, I thank you that I have a supply. You're going to bless me in a way that it will seem as this didn't even happen. It didn't even happen to me because the blessing swallowed up the increase of the price. Now, I do that because I was trained by Dr. Dufresne to do that, but I've noticed that a lot of Christians, even in my church, don't do that. How do I know you don't? Because I listen to the way you talk. I can tell you don't do that because I can hear the fear in your voice. Well, what if this keeps happening? What if it goes up to $250? What if it goes up to $3 a liter? What are we going to do? Stop stuttering. Do I need to pray for you for stuttering? You don't need to worry about that. If you truly believe God, the increase will swallow up whatever loss that is being incurred at this moment. But I know that not everybody gets this, Jenny, because at the time of testing, what's in you comes out. The heart is revealed by testing or correction. Everybody can say they love me until I correct them. When I correct them, that's the hot water. You are the tea bag. You, when you hit correction, what's really in you comes out. So don't tell me all this fancy stuff until I correct you. That's the only test of who you really are and testing slash correction. So it doesn't have to just be correct. When you're tested, testing is correction. But when you're tested in life, what's in you shows up. You never know the quality of a person when everything's good. Do you understand? That's why I've learned, I used to really believe people when they'd come to the church new and they'd say, oh, how much I love this. Oh, da, 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 blah, 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 blah. Oh, I think you're the best blah, blah, and blah again. Oh, this is, I've been looking for this for 20 years. Blah. I'm never leaving. Blah. I've learned to just in my mind go, whatever. Let's give you three years. Let's see. 
Let's wait till I correct you with your sexuality and we'll see. Let's wait till I ask you to give a special annual project offering. We'll see how much you love the church then. No, I'm serious. Because when people are tested or corrected, what's in them comes out and it's not always good. (laughs) Do you understand? That's why you shouldn't marry somebody after one date. That's why living holy, you should just court them for a while and watch them for a while and watch how the pastor corrects them and see what they do. Because when you marry somebody that I've never corrected, you don't know what's in them. I'm serious. When you marry somebody who has never had major things go wrong in their life and you haven't seen the good fruit come out of that. A lot of people have a lot of fruit come out, but it's not always good fruit. Then you don't really know what you got until now you're hooked. I didn't say shackled, I said hooked. And then when the first problem happens, what's really in them is going to come out. When the first correction happens from you as the spouse or from God or from the preacher, what's really in them is going to come out. So be careful. Everybody can fake it when things are good. What happens when things aren't good? That's what I look for. That's what I look for. Praise God. I don't know why I'm saying that because it's not part of the message, but somebody needs to hear that. Uh, don't, don't judge people too quickly when things are good. Watch them a little while and, when, and then you'll see the true what's inside them comes out in the hot water. Hot water, Jenny. Not cold water, hot water. But he said to me, because of the times that you're in and because some of the stresses that people are under financially, I want you to talk a little bit about this and strengthen their faith. And so if, he, if you go, please, to the book of uh, uh, Genesis chapter 15, I just want to read you a couple quick, simple verses, if that would be okay. But I do believe there's some revelation in them. Maybe you've read some of these before. Maybe you haven't, but I believe it will bless you and help you because I'm under as amended an assignment tonight. We could teach on many things, but he said, talk on my supply. Talk on my El Shaddai. Because the people, when, they're, when the society is going through havoc, and your bills are going up, your tithe does not go down. If your tithe goes down, it means you don't understand covenant. Do you understand? And I don't know if your tithe is going down or not because I'm not looking. I only look every quarter. It's not the end of the quarter yet. So I just said, Errol, if we're in major trouble, you better tell me financially. But if we're not in major trouble, then you just don't tell me a word because I don't need anything more to struggle with. I'm just using my faith that at the end of this year, when 52 weeks are averaged, we will have the budget met and exceeded. And that's all I'm standing on. So I'm not saying that people are doing this. I'm just saying I don't know. So I'm just saying what people have a tendency to do is when tests and trials come and things get tight, they'll take from somewhere. And I'm just saying, if you want God to really honor you, you've got to really honor him. And what you don't touch is what he owns. You lessen your offering that you're just lessening your seed. You're lessening therefore your harvest, but the tithe you don't even own. You don't touch what, what you don't own. Don't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what happens. We don't ever, we don't ever touch that. That's a holy thing. Genesis 27 verse 30. He says the tithe is holy, separate, sanctified and pure unto me. Do not touch it. And if you do touch it, you owe me 20% interest when you pay it back. 
That's what God says in the Old Testament. I'm not saying you have to pay 20% in the new. We're not under the legalism of the law, but that's how serious God was about it. You don't touch what I own. And if you do, I'm charging you interest. It's like a loan from a bank. The bank owns that money, not you. God owns the tithe, not you. So no matter what is going on or grocery or gas or whatever it is, you don't touch what God owns. Now you have confidence to stand your ground. Say, El Shaddai, you have to do this. You have to do this. I'm, I'm an honorable man. And you're an honorable God. And I can't show you honor without you returning it to me. So I thank you, you honor me. I don't care where it comes from, but you're going to make it up to me. It's going to swallow up. The blessing will swallow up all this extra expenses that I'm living with right now. Praise God. Now for Genesis 15:1, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision saying, fear not, Abram, fear not. That's how his word to us, fear not. No matter what Russia says, just fear not. Doesn't matter what your boss says, just fear not. Why do you never have to fear? Because you have a covenant. <laughs> oh, I have a covenant. Abram, fear not. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. You should meditate on Genesis 15:1 until it gets on the inside of you. I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. Now, exceeding great reward, as you'll see in a second, is talking about money. Money, money, money. And I know people in church don't like to talk about money because you think it's not holy. Money is not, not holy or holy. It's an, it's an object. It's a, it's, a, it's a thing. It's a tool. And it's sanctified when it gets in our hands. And it can be unsanctified when it's in the world's hands. And it can be used for good things and it can be used for bad things, but it's just a tool. But it's okay to talk about money because the Bible talks about money. That's why it's okay to talk about it. If the Bible didn't talk about it, then we shouldn't talk about it. But the Bible talks about it. So this is talking about money. So I want to say that first because in context, if you want to be a good theologian, you have to interpret Scripture with Scripture in context. So the context of this verse is money. And what does he say before he even talks about the money? He says, I'm your shield. What does that mean? I'm your protector. What is he saying? I will protect you in the realm of money. I will protect you in the realm of finance. Protect you. Now, the word shield could just be a normal shield, but it's the Hebrew word buckler. And the word buckler, as you know, is the small shield that is permanently latched to your forearm. So when the sword goes out of your hand and the big shield goes out of your hand and you're at the moment of failure and you're falling backward in a sword fight, you put your arm up and the blade comes down on the buckler. In other words, when it's your last ditch, when you're at the moment of failure, I'm still going to protect you. God is taking it to the nth degree. You could just be in a little bit of trouble and it, that buckler may not mean much because you've got other things in front of you. But at the moment of absolute critical mass, when you're about to go under, that's what God is taking this all the way down to that. Not all of us are in that situation, but he's saying, if you ever get there, you know, like when there's a sword fight and they lose their balance and they go back and the guy comes down to split their head open and he puts his hand up. If he don't have a buckler, he's going to cut his arm off. But if he's got a buckler, it will take the force of that blade. What God is saying is, I am that buckler. At your moment of most weak, I will still protect you financially. At the moment you feel you're going to lose your house, I am your shield. 
I will protect you no matter what, no matter how bad it gets, no matter it gets right down to the wire. I am your buckler. We can stand on that in financial emergencies. He has to come through. He has to. Now you have to live right. You have to be led by the spirit. You have to be a covenant tither. You have to walk in love and forgiveness. If, if you don't do some of these basics, there's a crack in that buckler. God's not cracked, but your ability to receive from him is marred because of your bad behavior. But when you're right, not perfect, but right to the best of your knowledge, even in that last ditch moment, Sandy, I have a right to say, devil, you can't touch me. You might have that sword one inch away from my eye, but my God said he'll deliver me and protect me financially, even in the moment of failure. Hallelujah. So God's just letting Abraham know. In other words, Abraham, no matter how bad it gets, I'm going to protect you financially. No matter how awful it looks, I'm going to protect you financially. No matter how desperate you get, I'm going to protect you. I hope you're listening because if you're listening on live stream, it doesn't matter how bad it gets. He is my shield. So remember that. And my exceeding great reward. Exceeding means, uh, exceeding is said, if in the Hebrew, it's not just what is said. It's how it's said. And not every word in Hebrew talks about the tone of voice. It just tells you what the word means in English. But this is a unique word. Exceeding is not just the word a lot or abundance, but in the Hebrew, it's how it is said. And it is said with a tone of vengeance. So God is not just saying, I am your exceeding. He's saying, I am your exceeding. It's filled with power. It's spoken with vengeance. That's important that you understand that because sometimes how God says something is as important as what he says. Praise God. Vehemence means a display of strong feelings, <laughs> a display of passion, forcefulness, ardor, fervor, spiritedness, zealousness, fanaticism. God's fanatical about protecting you financially. There's lots of words of synonyms. But anyway, I am your exceeding. That means exceeding with spoken with, with vehemence. Great. That means to increase in abundance. And here's the word I want to get to. Reward. Now this word reward, that's why it's talking about money. Because the others are descriptive words. Exceeding great are descriptive words. Descriptive words about what? What's the shield talking about? I am your shield. I am your exceeding great. You still haven't told me what? You're protecting me on what? You're, ex- you're vehemently increasing me in what area? What area are you going to protect me in? The word reward is the key word in this scripture because it tells us the subject matter. And the word reward does not have anything other than money. Yeah, that's right. Nothing else, just money. So don't super spiritualize it to mean something else. Do you understand? It means a payment of a contract. It means a salary. It means fair, F-A-R-E. It means compensation, benefits, higher price, reward, wages, and worth. And when I was, when he said to me, go to Genesis 15, because this is El Shaddai. He's revealing himself as El Shaddai. I am the Lord God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. I am your exceeding great. But the word, out of all these descriptive words for the word reward, Remember, remember, any of those words I've just read, the translators could have put that in 1611 because it means the same thing. They could have put the word salary. They chose the word reward 
But all of these English words mean that Hebrew word. Now, the word that jumped out on that list, reward, uh, payment of contracts, salary, fair, compensation, benefit, higher price, reward, wages, and worth. What the word that jumped off the page by the Holy Ghost was the word salary. And I heard the Holy Ghost say, I, Craig, am your salary. And he reminded me, do you remember what your dad would say, Dr. Dufresne? He'd say, you say you have a fixed income. Who fixed it? People say, I'm on a fixed income. And dad would always say, who fixed it? What he means is, who said it? That it can only be that amount. Your boss set your salary and gave you a fixed salary, but you are not on a fixed salary because your supply and source is not solely your boss. God, the covenant El Shaddai tyrant champion supplier can provide things outside your employment stream. He has other venues, forms, processes, avenues. In other words, don't say I've got a fixed income because by saying that, you're saying my employer is my only supply. What you're really saying is my employer is God. If you say I have a fixed income, what you're saying is, let's say, what, what's the name of your company? Quad? Quadrille. Quadrille. If she says I'm on a fixed income, what Sandy's really saying is my God is Quadrille. If you say you've got a fixed income, Taylor, you're saying promise of life. Pastor Craig is my God. Don't you ever say that. Because I'm not anybody's God. And neither is the CEO of Quadrille. Or TD. Or whatever. Where do you work? Who else got another job here? Anyone else got a job? (laughs) School board? The school board? She's saying, if Rebecca says, I'm on a fixed income. She's saying, the Toronto school board is my God. Cusky is not your God. They are not your supplier solely. They bring a supply and you work a job. Because you're faithful. But there is somebody else in this equation that, that, whew, that uh, dwarfs your main employment. M7, if he says M7 is my, I've got a fixed income. He's saying, I worship M7. It is my God. No, M7 is not his God. That's the company he owns. Amen. Now, Hortense, you used to be a nurse for, I don't know, what, 78 years or something like that? (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. She's only 51, so she could have only been employed for, I don't know, 20-something years or whatever, 30 years maybe. But she, she has been a nurse for many decades, and she is recently retired, and now they're giving her some kind of, what do you call it, retirement package, right? The pension. But if she says, I'm on a fixed income, What you're saying is the CRA is my God. The hospital pension plan is my Lord and Savior. No, they're not. They're a form. They're an avenue. They're a supply. But they're not the only one. In fact, they are dwarfed by El Shaddai. Now, you've got to get this in your heart. Don't you ever say you're on a fixed income because whoever that fixed that income is your God. I'm never on a fixed income. Promise of life is not my fixed income. God's got lots of ways beyond promise of life to help me. God is my supply. 
He is, I heard him say it, Jenny. I heard him say it when I opened that up and I jumped off the page and I heard him say, I am your shield. I am your exceeding great reward. But then I heard him say, I am your salary, Craig. That's why doctor could say, don't say I have a fixed income. Who fixed it? God's your source, not your job. That's why he could say, because what God is saying to Abraham, I am your salary. I am your employer. I am your supply. I give you, not quadrille. That is just going through them on one avenue. But I set salaries. Let me fix it for you. I'll give you a fixed income and it will be what I say, not what your employer says. Because your employer is one stream. But I am the whole ocean. Woo, I'm telling you, Jenny, we, in this moment of crisis globally and everything changing and up and down, my tithe never changes. My offerings of anything go up, not down. Because I know I need more harvest, so I sow more seed. Because I really believe this. I'm not just preaching it. I believe it and I live it. I live it. Every year I give more than I gave the last year. Every year. And that my offering, my tithe is always, but I give, my, I give more every year. Because I'm going from glory to glory. The path of the righteous gets brighter and brighter. But if I give less, it won't get brighter, it'll get darker. I need a greater harvest so I go to sow more seed. But I'm telling you, I, no matter what is happening, he is my salary. He is my salary, Jenny. Please get it down on the inside of you. He fixes my income. He determines its cap, not my boss. You got to meditate until this is real to you. He is my El Shaddai. He protects me even to the moment of greatest threat. He protects me with my finances. He is my great and exceeding spoken with great passion. I am your salary. Stop looking only to your job. Look to me. Claim what you need, son. I gave you the prophet to teach you. Obey the words of the prophet and you'll prosper. I told you through Dad Hagen how to do this. Don't plead and beg. I am your supply. Claim what you need. I don't have the money here, but the money's all down there. Now, when you take authority over that devil and release those angels, they'll cause it to come. Just keep praising me. Sometimes it takes the angels some time because they're dealing with human will. And they have to work on people because they can't overcome will. But it will always come to pass if you'll just trust me. Trust me. Claim what you need. I am your supply. I can influence situations on earth. I can influence government officials, family members, strangers, friends, co-workers, neighbors. I can influence and cause what you need to come. I can give you a brainchild, witty idea, and you all of a sudden know what to do, and you start a business, and you make 100000 extra that year in addition to your regular salary. I have lots of ways to do this, but don't you ever look to somebody else as your God. You look to El Shaddai as your God. I am your salary. Amen. Amen. You with me? Praise God. Hallelujah. And by the way, that word exceeding that is said with vehemence, the root word means, and I like this, it means a firebrand. You know what a firebrand is? When they brand cattle, they put the mark for the rest of that cattle's life. Everybody knows who the owner of that cattle is because of the mark. 
It's really like the logo of the, of the, of the ranch. That word exceedingly that is spoken with vehemence means you will be branded. What he literally, <laughs> literally this is what it means. It means, and I'm paraphrasing now all the Hebrew words, I will cause you to exceedingly, said with vehemence and passion, increase in great abundance, in reward, salary, money, and wealth, so much that it will mark you. God is saying, I, and he's saying it like, I am your salary. And it will mark you and brand you for the rest of your life. That everyone that looks at you says, you belong to El Shaddai. Because what I see in you, no other person could have done that. Because you are branded in prosperity by God. I am nothing but a cattle that he brands. When they see me, they see God on me. That's what he's saying. If you get a revelation, see, you just read it in the English. I am your shield. I'm your exceeding great reward. And then you're just doing your Bible reading to get in your verses. Slow down and study to show yourself approved. A workman rightly dividing the word of truth. Divide the word. What does this word mean? What does that word mean? How do they work together? What is God really saying? I'm going to protect you no matter what. I'm saying this with vehemence, almost anger, but not anger at you. I am your supply. I am your salary. And it's going to brand and mark you for the rest of your life. Just trust me, Abraham. Trust me. He's looking at us. Don't look at Russia or Poot Poot or whatever his name is. Just trust God. Oh, Lord, please touch Poot Poot's heart so that he'd leave Ukraine and then my gas bill will become normal. That's not the prayer to pray. We can pray for those poor people that are being killed. We can pray that God protects and that angels go. We can pray like that. But when it comes to your money, you don't ask God to change Putin. You say, Father, the blessing will swallow up whatever this loss is. My, I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you. You are my salary. You are my supply. And it will brand me and it will mark me that others will look at me and say, what is your secret? Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Almost done. 8.53. Are you thinking, oh God, how much more can I take? Genesis chapter 20. Just a couple more verses. You didn't come on Wednesday night just to get something, you know. I want to shallow out on you, Sandy. I want to give you a couple verses. Amen. And Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country and dwelled between Kadesh and Shur. And so journeyed in Gerar, Genesis 20, verse 1. And Abraham said of Sarah's wife, she's my sister. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Nose is as long as a telephone wire. Now that's what my translation says. Yours may not say that. Abraham said of Sarah's wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. She is fine. The Bible says she's a supermodel. No, she was. She was a supermodel. Like Dr. Dufresne married a supermodel. Abraham married a supermodel. Now, the Bible says she was the most beautiful woman in the whole land. That means a supermodel. And God came. God, he takes Sarah. And notice Abraham don't even do nothing. Abraham's just like a, a jerk. He's a, he's a loser at this moment. His wife is, the king is going to have sex with his wife. The 
doesn't say Abraham knocked on the door and said, I'm sorry to deceive you. <laughs> She's my wife. Please don't have sex with her. Abraham, not even around. He's so afraid he's going to get killed because of the kingdom like you, he just cut your head off. But what did God do? God got involved. Why? Because God is covenant. God will get involved for you. Even when you lie. Well, pastor, I don't believe that. Well, then I guess you don't believe the Bible. Didn't say Abraham repented. Didn't say Abraham made it right. God overlooks certain things because of covenant. That doesn't justify you sinning. But what I'm saying is even when you miss it, God will overlook certain things in mercy because he knows in the foreknowledge in the future, you're going to repent. But in the moment of crisis, he'll overlook failure because of your covenant. This is what people don't understand. Don't get so legalistic. Yes, don't sin. Yes, repent. But my covenant is stronger. I don't mean to say this and cause people to stumble and make a license for sin. But my covenant is stronger than even my sin. Do you understand what I'm saying? That doesn't mean I sin willingly and without repentance. But even if I make a hiccup somewhere, my covenant is so strong with God. He'll overlook temporary failure. Knowing my heart. But don't work because he knows my heart's impure. But if he knows my heart's right, even before I've repented, my covenant will still work. To a measure. Don't, don't, don't think I'm preaching some greasy grace doctrine. That's not what I'm preaching. I'm just preaching that the covenant is so strong. And God came by to Abimelech in a dream by night. I love it. This is my favorite line in the Bible. Are you ready? My favorite line in the Bible is right here in Genesis chapter 20, verse 3. It's not John 3, 16. It's 20, Genesis 20, verse 3. Are you ready? He came, by, he came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art a dead man. That is the coolest line in the Bible. Hey, you're a dead man. Now when God El Shaddai shows up to your bedroom, looks at you square in the eye and says, behold, you're a dead man. I hope you're wearing Depends because your sheets are ruined. Quinn, that is the coolest line in the Bible. That sounds like a dirty Harry line. It sounds like something Clint Eastwood would put in a movie. You're dead. Now, when you say that to people, you're biblical. <laughs> Behold, thou, but you're not God, so be careful. Behold, thou art a dead man for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. And Abimelech said, come near me, come not near me. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? In other words, I haven't touched her. And, she, and said he not unto me that she, he said, she's my sister. And she even, she herself said, he's my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocency of my hands have I done this. God knew all of that and he still said, you're dead. He knew, he, he knew the innocency of his heart. And he says that you touch, listen, I'm trying to get something over to you. You touch a covenant boy of mine, I'll kill you. Do you catch the revelation? God looks at your enemies. He knows they might even be innocent. It's not the point. He knows his boy lied. That's not the point. You understand what, what God is saying here? My boy might have missed it and you might be innocent. But if you touch my covenant son, I will kill you. That is exactly, it's a, oh, 
it kind of makes you swallow twice. It's a sobering moment. It's a pause. It's a, whoo. I didn't know God defended me. Like I didn't know I, I didn't know he felt that way about me. This guy didn't even mean to do anything wrong. I'm the one to blame. And God is still saying to my enemy, I'll kill you, you touch him. You know why? Because he has covenant with me and you don't. God will defend you to the uttermost. As a born again, blood washed believer, he will look at your enemies even when you're wrong and they're right. And he'll say, you touch Jennifer, I'll kill you. And that is in the new covenant the same way. You don't mess with God's children. I know we're in the covenant of mercy. I know all of that. But the covenant with God, the vehemence and vengeance that he has to protect his own is still there. That's why when three bankers stood up again, now you may, I know this messes up with your doctrine, but I really don't care. You need to expand your horizons. When those three bankers stood up against Dr. Sumrall and tried to, tried to stop the ministry of God, God said, curse them. Now that doesn't sound very New Testament, is it? But it is. Because in Acts, the king was smitten by God and died. And the church members were smitten by God and died. So in a covenant of mercy, there are still occasional bouts of judgment. And God said to Dr. Sumrall, no, you can't do it unless God tells you. And he doesn't tell people very often, and he usually doesn't tell people other than high offices. But he said, curse them. And Dr. Sumrall's telling the doctor, don't want to mess with Dr. Sumrall, buddy. He knows covenant. And he said, by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, I curse you, I curse you, and I curse you. And within a year, all of them dropped dead. And the bank was very quick to give him the loan. <laughs> I'm serious. China Bank. We were just there in the Philippines. When Dr. Sumrall was there in the 50s, China Bank was the largest bank in the Philippines. 90% of Philippine wealth is owned by the Chinese. And in 1954 into the late 50s, they were the strongest bank in the country. And they would not help him. And God said, curse them. And he stood up and he said, I curse you by the blood of Jesus. And their stock started plummeting. No apparent factors. They couldn't figure it out. It just started plummeting. And then they got so desperate for business. They came to him and said, we're sorry. We want to give you the loan. And he said, I, rece I received that. And in other words, the, the force of God against that bank because of the covenant man lifted. And their stock started to go back up. Now you say, well, that's just global economics and we can't really prove it. That's because you're stupid. That's just because you're stupid. Not, no other reason, you're just stupid. That's all that is. Because you're trying to process supernatural things through mental eyes. What I'm trying to say is don't touch the covenant man. Not just Old Testament, New Testament. Doesn't that bless you, Greg? Yes, Abraham's wrong, Abimelech. Yes, you're innocent, Abimelech. But I don't care. He's got covenant. You don't. I'm going to kill you. You touch him. That's how much God protects me. That's how much God loves me. That's how much he'll protect you in this season. But you've got to get covenant down into your very DNA. You've got to believe it with everything you've got. Or it won't work for you. Woo! And God said unto him in a dream, verse 6, Yeah, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against her. In other words, I've stopped you from touching her. Therefore, I suffered thee not to touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet. And he shall pray for you, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, know that thou shalt surely die. Thou and all that are thine your wife, your kids, your aunts, your uncles, your in-laws, they're all dead. 
That's how far he goes for covenant. Therefore, Abimelech rose early in the morning. Well, I guess he didn't sleep in that morning. And called in the servants and told all these things in their ears. And the men were so afraid. And Abimelech called Abram and said to him, Why have you done this to us? And what have I offended you that you have brought on me on my kingdom a great sin? Thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what, say, what sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought surely he is, the fear of God is not in this place. The reverence of God is not here, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. And yet indeed she is my sister. And yet indeed she is my sister. She is the daughter of my father. So technically, Abraham's saying, I didn't really truly lie. But he did. But technically, did you know that she was his half-sister? You didn't know that. But, uh, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander by my father's house, and I said unto her, uh, This is thy kindness which thou shalt show unto me at every place whither we shall come. Say of me, he is my brother. And Abimelech took, now watch now. Are you ready? I'm almost done. Just stay with me. You're only going to go get chicken after this anyway, so just relax. And Abimelech took, listen, after God defended the covenant, what did he do? He didn't have to do this. But sinners, when they see covenant, they'll want to bless you. And Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men servants and women servants and gave them unto Abram and restored him Sarah his wife. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before thee. Dwell wherever you want. And unto Sarah he said, Behold, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes unto all that are with thee and with all others. Thus she was reproved. In other words, they corrected her, but he gave him money. So Abram prayed unto God and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants and they bare children. God shut up their wombs. He said, I'm going to kill you physically. I'm going to kill you. But before I kill you, I'm just going to make sure you can't have babies. Now, because he repented, the death sentence was lifted, but they're still barren. Now he gives them money and God opens the wombs. For the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abram's wife. I'm trying to show you something. Covenant goes very far. <laughs> when they touch us, they touch God. When they touch Craig, they touch El Shaddai because I'm his son. When they touch you, they touch God. Whether it's your fault or not, God will tell them, you better take your hands off Nigel. If you can release faith in this, it'll change your life. You will approach situations with a different level of confidence. You will look at the wars and the plagues and the rumors of wars and you will not be moved. I'm a covenant man. If God has to, he'll make it if I don't have it. God would even kill for me, so to speak, if you want to look at it like that. Not that he's into killing, but you know what I'm saying. He loves me so much, he'll defend me to the death. God will defend me, Sandy, to the death. That's what covenant means. See, in North America, we don't understand covenant. Our culture is not given to covenant. African culture understands covenant. Other more primitive cultures that you think are less, but they understand covenant better than you. When they give their word, it's for life. Do you understand? That's why divorce rates in those countries are much lower than in Western countries because covenant of marriage means nothing to people these days. But it does mean something if you understand it. So did you see that? Now, I won't read it to you because of sake of time. We've got to close, but I'll just give you the reference. Genesis 26, verse 2. Same guy, Abimelech. Now it's Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham's dead. Abimelech, same kind of situation. He lied as well like daddy did. He said Rebecca was his sister because he was afraid because he also married a supermodel. And he was going to take the wife and then 
God corrected Abimelech again. And Abimelech gets afraid because of what happened, what we just read. All that stuff happened again with Isaac. He didn't threaten to kill him that time, but Abimelech was very quick to, uh, you're, you're Abraham's son, that means you're a covenant man, that means I better watch my P's and Q's. You read that in Genesis 26, it's a fascinating story. But I want you to notice that in that time with Abimelech, the Bible says, Isaac in the year of famine, sowed where nobody else was sowing. Why? You don't sow when there's no rain because your seed will die. Do you understand? You don't sow in the year of famine because your seed will die. But Isaac said, I'm a covenant man. I can sow when there's no logical reason to sow. And God, if it only rains on my property, it will rain. And if it doesn't rain, the rain will come up from under the earth. I don't care how it happens. I'm a covenant man. The Bible said he sowed, Jenny, in famine where there was no rain. And everybody thought he was crazy because he was going to lose his seed. And the Bible says not only did he get a harvest, which means God supernaturally caused rain either to come only on his or the water to come up out of the ground. On just his land, nobody else got water but him. God not only gave him a harvest, but the Bible says on that year, because he released such faith, it takes faith to sow in famine. God gave him a hundred times his seed. It's the only time in the entire Old or New Testament where hundredfold is mentioned in terms of an actual, Bible says 30, 60, a hundredfold, but in terms of an actual story of somebody getting a hundredfold, this is the only time in recorded scripture. I want you to know something, in a time of famine, in a time of doubt, in a time of concern, global concern, if you'll just start to trust the covenant and sow what God tells you to sow, he can cause a hundredfold to come even in difficult times. According to, it's got to be according to your faith though. Hallelujah. Why? Because of covenant. Why am I not afraid? Because of covenant. Even when I make mistakes, God will defend me to the death. Why? Because he is my salary. I'm marked by him. Hallelujah. He is my El Shaddai, my burly strong one. Can I remind you as I close of what David said when they said, have you seen Goliath? That's what they said. Have you seen him? Because he's talking these words, great words. And they're like, hold on, you haven't seen him. You're talking so tough, but you haven't seen him. Have you seen him? Look how big he is. Look how bad he is. Look how strong he is. Look how impossible it is. I love David's response. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? What is he saying? Who is this uncovenanted Philistine? But what does that mean, Taylor? What was he really saying? When they said, have you seen him? David's answer was, have you seen my covenant? That's what he's saying. He is uncovenanted. I am covenanted. So you're asking me if I'm looking at him but I'm looking at the covenant. So my answer to you is, have you seen him? And I say, have you seen my covenant? Have you seen gas prices? Have you seen my covenant? No, I'm serious, guys. I'm trying to help you. Have you seen the Goliath? Have you seen what cheese costs? Have you seen what tomatoes cost? Have you seen my covenant? It's icy roads. Have you seen how dangerous the roads are? Have you seen my covenant? Come on. You see, you just infuriate religious folks with that. You, just, you make them mad at you. Well, I don't know. It's a lot of turbulence today. I was looking at the Weather Channel, and there's a lot of turbulence. And I think that plane, you know, I just think you should be just use extra wisdom. Have you seen my covenant? Now, I'm led by the Spirit. But have you seen my covenant? <laughs> have you 
David, have you seen my covenant God? If you saw my covenant, you wouldn't ask if I'd seen the giant. Because the tyrannical one, the chief champion warrior, the Lord Jesus Christ rides with me into battle. He'll defend me to the death. He is my supply. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Have you seen my covenant? Father, every situation I face that is looking woefully dangerous, that is looking pressured, that is looking dangerous, that is looking like I could be hurt through it, financially, emotionally, physically, any other way. My answer is, have you seen my covenant? Because, Father, we are covenant people with El Shaddai in our name. Our Father's name is El Shaddai. My name is in his name. I have El Shaddai in my DNA. He is inside me. He will defend me to the death. He is my exceeding great salary. He marks me. Even when I fail, even when I miss it, even when other people might even be better than me, he will watch over his word in my life to perform it to the death because it's, my covenant is not based on my perfection or the fact that I never make a mistake. My covenant is based on the perfection of the blood of Jesus with the heavenly father. And I've entered that perfect covenant. And even when I'm not perfect, that covenant is perfect. And even when I fail, that covenant is perfect. And even when I don't always think right, that covenant is perfect. And that covenant will work every time for me to the death. Because I'm a covenant man. I cannot go under. I cannot lose my house. I cannot fail because I'm in covenant. Help this people catch it, Father. We never have to be afraid. (sighs) Because of covenant. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. amen.